Do you ever feel like the whole world has gone insane? Yeah, you're not alone. I feel that way. In fact, the majority of people feel that way. The truth is, we were all sold this great lie that being part of a silent majority was something we should be proud of. Being a silent majority allowed a very loud, angry group of people to control everything. And problem there is, that small group of people, they're communists. I say that myself as someone who's the son of a Cuban refugee who had to flee communism. I know the reality of how important the American dream is. I know how quickly we can lose freedom. And that's why this is our last stand. I'm your host, Robbie Starbuck, and I'm gonna be diving deep on the issues and people that matter so that together we can save the American dream and once again, become a loud majority that steers the direction of this country. If you're with me and you wanna spread truth and wake up the masses, you're in the right place. Together, one piece of truth at a time, we can save America. Today we've got with us the amazing Chloe Cole. She is a former trans child who has come out and really been a warrior for children, standing up for them so that the same thing that happened to her does not happen to them. So thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, thank you guys for having me. I appreciate it so much. So why don't you explain, Landon, how did we get to know Chloe? What has she been doing with us? Well, I mean, we got started at the activist rally with Matt Walsh, which was amazing. But did we meet before then? I feel like we have. I can't remember. I feel like we've done. I don't know. I feel like this the internet's like a, a weird place. Of, yeah, it is. Because you start to feel like, like you're like good friends with people who sometimes you have not met. Has that happened to you? Yeah. Yeah. The internet's weird like that. I feel like it's a generational thing because if we tried to explain this to somebody in their 60s or 70s, they'd be like, what is wrong with all of you? Yeah. But that's totally how it works now. Right. You know? So after the Matt Walsh rally, we knew we had these Senate bills coming up and in the House to ban child mutilation in the state of Tennessee. And we were talking, we're like, we have to have Chloe come testify. She's going to hit a home run. We don't want to just convince the supermajority who are already Republican, who already support, you know, banning this barbaric, you know, human rights uh, atrocity in, in our state. But we, we want to convince Democrats. And if there's anybody who could do it, hearing from the yeah. person who's experienced that and has spoken in, you know, all across the country in these hearings, we have to see if Chloe would be willing to come. And she was, and yeah. she absolutely hit it out of the park today. And all but one little stinker, you know, is going to vote in support. So, I mean, that's pretty amazing that she was able to convince everyone in that, on that panel and that committee to ban this, this barbaric practice. Yeah. I mean, there's one who I think will end up being a no vote to once it goes eventually. to full eventually, you know, I think he is just trying not to do it today, but you know, this is kind of what we're dealing with all over the country, and you've really been helping fight it. So where else do you see this going on throughout the country where changes are being made that will protect kids? I mean, these laws are starting to pop up all over the U.S. Yeah. Are you involved in any of the other ones? I try to be. Yeah, as much as you can. Yeah. So walk me through, you know, one of the things that I just can't imagine when I think about this and what was done to you, I keep thinking about the doctors. Have you talked to any of them? Yeah. Did this? What do they say? Like, how do they defend themselves? The last one I talked to was my surgeon. In around, I think, last August, I decided that I would reach out to him, the final member who was involved in my, uh, my medical transition, just to report that, like, I regretted it and that I was experiencing complications with it because I'm, I'm seeing some pretty serious complications from this and I need help with it. I have no idea what's going on and... All I could get with him was like a five minute call or resume. And he was just like, well, 
yeah, just keep doing what you're doing. Keep bandaging it and uh, put some Vaseline over it. Nice. I got absolutely no help. Yeah. Is there any sense, do you think, that they have any guilt? Well, on that call, it did seem that he was a little fearful. Yeah. Do you think that any of these doctors who were doing this are now having second thoughts about doing more of these surgeries? Do you think, like, have you heard that at all, that any of these doctors who have been doing this are like, you know what, okay, I'm seeing these detransition cases, and I just don't feel ethically right doing this anymore. Yeah, I haven't heard from any doctors, any surgeons who specifically have operated on gender dysphoric patients. Isn't that mind-blowing? Yeah. That, like, none of them have come out and been like, hey, you know what? I was on the train before because, you know, this association and this association all said this was the standard care practice now. And I thought, okay, well, I've always listened to that and I went along with it, but what I'm seeing is scary. And I'm seeing these kids come back to me saying that they regret what happened. Like, I just, I can't wrap my head around that personally. I really can't, you know? And you're not alone. I mean, tell us, like, how many people have reached out to you who regret transitioning? I can't even count. I think it's up to, up to like, the thousands. But um, I've met a few dozen other people who transitioned as minors and detransitioned. Wow. And what, what is the experience like after that process happens? I mean, I've heard from a lot of my friends who were former trans kids and they're treated awfully. They're yeah. censored online by big tech. Um, and they, they lost their community. They lost so much more than just, you know, that identity. Um, can you speak a little bit about that experience? Yeah, that's kind of how it goes. That's how it was in my experience. And it seems to be that way. It seems to be a pretty common pattern amongst the transitioners. How have you been treated, would you say, by the very group of people who are supposed to be affirming your gender in the way you perceived it? So now that you're saying, okay, I'm actually not trans, I am a girl, I was born a girl, I'm a girl, never going to be anything but a girl, how do those people treat you now? Pretty horribly, actually. I mean, before that, there were times when like, I would get like other other transgender people would like pick fights with me because I had like the wrong opinion and they would like force me to stop speaking yeah. about certain subjects. Like for example, I believed like you had to have I still believe you have to have dysphoria in order to be transgender because there's not really any reason other than that to transition. Yeah. And this a few years ago, that was like a really huge point of contention for some reason among in, in the community. Why else did they think people should transition? I, I've because they want to. Yeah. Just because they want to. Because it's just the It's part about of feeling. It's okay. about whatever you feel like. I mean. Well, wouldn't that be dysphoria? Yeah. Do they just not want to. Yeah, that's one thing I don't. That's one thing I don't get. Like, okay, so you don't want to be referred to by your birth name or your birth sex. So how are you not dysphoric? Right. But even before I detransitioned, I would like into fights over, over stuff like that. And once the regret started setting and I was talking about like how I regretted my surgery and how I didn't like how testosterone made me look, I remember there was this particular person who I had known since pretty much the beginning of my transition who also was a trans-identifying girl um, and was roughly around my age. And she just went crazy on me. She'll, she told me like, you don't deserve parents who love you enough to let you transition. Like you deserve to feel this way. You're stupid. I got a little bit more of that once I started 
to actually detransition and talk about it. What about the doctors? Did any doctors, when did I assume, I mean, like, I don't know the process, so maybe you can educate me on it, but I assume what would happen, you start to feel this way, you still have doctors you see <laughs> and you tell them this. Did they try to affirm you as your biological sex or did they try to talk you into continuing your transition? They were just like, oh, so you changed your mind. Okay. And that's it. Yeah. And they did they just go, okay, here's how we're going to roll it back. No. I had to figure that figure out. out. I wasn't given any guidance on that. How's that not medical malpractice? I, I, I can't explain it. Honestly, I can't. I mean, your experience in, in medicine, everything you've been through, you're 18. Do you feel like any semblance of the medical community is operating under the actual belief system that they should do no Very few. Very few. Very, very few. I mean, that's, I think, I think COVID made that very apparent to people. I think that that kind of woke up a lot of people who maybe still had fascinations that um, it was just all beautiful unicorns and rainbows when in reality, this is all about money for a lot of these people. And the few that, you know, have spoken out, I mean, most of them, there's more of them, but they, they're such, you know, coercive practices in this medical industry that they're afraid they'll lose their license. I know that we have people oh, yeah. every week reach out to us and, and even therapists who are afraid to take on you know, cases where, you know, these kids are feeling this work, they say, I don't want to abide by the gender, you know, affirmative care model because it's not, it's against, you know, what I believe. And I want to be able to tell this child, you're, you're perfect just the way you are. Yeah. And they can't because they're afraid they're going to lose their license. I mean, it's, there's an underground network of therapists that will actually help tell a child that there's nothing wrong with you. You know, that's a really scary thing. Ha were there any therapists that, you know, you worked with during this transition that maybe, felt that way or you know intimated that there wasn't something wrong that could be treated or was it just like this is the path to you know hormones blockers surgery yeah no, no therapist but the first endocrinologist who i was sent to uh to try to get blockers and hormones said no because he said that he was concerned for how it might affect my brain development because i was so young i was i think he i think he even said that i was one of his youngest patients that he ever, that he ever seen at that time I looked back in my medical records, actually, and apparently he's no longer with my healthcare provider. I don't know if he got fired or if he just decided to leave, but I would imagine he was probably pretty shocked just seeing patients younger and younger coming to him over the years, like asking for this. Right. What was this kind of a change of subjects, but what was the moment, was there a moment or was it a collection of things like, how did you know that this was wrong for you. It was kind of a slow burn after my surgery. Like I never, I don't remember experiencing any regret or like having any negative feelings towards transition specifically until after my surgery. But it wasn't until about like a, almost a year later, um, I was taking a psychology class and some of the lessons were about like maternity, parenting, child development. And that was the first time I really thought about what being a parent might look like for me. Yeah. Cause before that point, I mean, I was just a kid. I was just 15 when I went under the knife. Nobody and 15 I, is thinking about having, and you know, like, you're not like, oh, where are you? Okay, where are you? I know I wasn't. I wasn't like, I can't wait to have kids at 15. Yeah. Like every now and then I would think about like the possibility of it. And I felt like I had a responsibility to one day, but that was the first time that I was really, it was like, that I was really thinking about it. And it was like, well, I'm not going to be able to breastfeed. And I just learned that this is a huge part of like the bond between a mother and her kid. 
Yeah. And I'll never be able to have that experience. I can't give that to my kids. And I, I don't know whether I'll be able to even have children naturally. Yeah. I mean, it's looking hopeful because about two months after I stopped taking testosterone, I start getting my cycle again, but it's, it's possible to have an ovulatory cycles. Yeah. I'm just kind of in the dark about that right now. And I think science is, doesn't really understand any of this because again, you know, I had somebody recently ask me about like, why are you conservative so suddenly against all of this? And I'm like, what do you mean so suddenly? Nobody was doing this before. There was no children being mutilated. Nobody was giving kids mastectomies. You know, this is a new thing. Same thing with like the advent of these new, you know, let's put kids in drag shows where people, you know, adults are stripping their clothes off and simulating sex. That was not something happening even four years ago. This is a brand new thing. So yeah, we're reacting to something in the culture that's changing and going, oh, wow, this is dangerous for kids. Yeah. And what bothers me is that like, I really, truly do not hate anybody. I'm not like a hater. I don't want to hate anybody for living their life. And there's this really, really vile sort of spirit and idea out there that we just hate all these people. We hate trans people. We hate drag queens. We hate like... I really, I can't decide if they actually believe that we hate them or if they know deep down that some lines have been crossed and they don't want to have that conversation because none of this is about people being trans as adults. None of this is about drag queens. And they don't really care about trans anybody. They don't, trans. I really truly don't. And it shows in how they treat trans. I don't believe they care, especially about trans kids. I really don't. And I wish I could say different. But when I see the results in front of me where adults or activists will show up and actively shout down kids who are saying, I made a mistake, or 18-year-olds in your case saying, I made a mistake. This is dangerous for kids. Please listen to me. And their reaction to that is, F you fascist. Yep. Or to laugh. Or to call you a Nazi or laugh at. Or say you didn't actually or transition. One of the most vile things is they'll even make fun of your femininity. They'll make fun of your features and stuff. And I'm like. Mm -hmm. It's stuff like that that made me transition in the first place. Who hates who here? You know, because I would never. Maybe it's just the way I was raised. Maybe I'm alone, like crazy. Or basically everybody I know is like this, though. I have never felt it was appropriate for me to comment on a woman's appearance especially in a negative way mm -hmm. to be like you know oh well i think that you're adam's apples too like first of all what what place does a man have even doing that like that's just weird it's weird to me it is but beyond that when did any of this become societally acceptable and the fact that they can feign that they care about these kids while simultaneously treating the ones who admit they made a mistake the way that they do kind of says everything because none of us are going to trans kids and saying you know you're not trans you look ugly none of us are saying anything like this we're doing this because we want to make sure that there's not a generation of kids beautiful children of god who end up in a position like you did where they go oh my gosh i'm dealing with these side effects i had no clue about that i could not even conceive of and conceptualize yeah. at 15. Uh -huh. and there's really no rush i think I know all these people who transitioned well into their adulthood well after they stopped developing physically 
and they're they're happy they're satisfied in their transitions yeah i mean there's really no rush if you're a longtime follower or listener you know i have talked about how broken our healthcare system is and it is time for a solution that's why i partnered with the company claris to bring you that solution you want to go back to the old days where a doctor actually cared they came to your house they gave real service and health care to your family not sick care just waiting for you to get sick that's claris you can get a doctor that comes to you or telehealth and you can get that service on a one-off basis don't deal with the insurance companies just deal directly with them and get the health care you deserve this again is an opportunity if you're one of those people that says I don't want a doctor who asks my kid about their pronouns. I don't want a doctor who's got propaganda in their waiting room. I don't want a doctor who tries to push a vaccine that I'm not comfortable with every time that I go into the doctor's office. Then this is for you. They're expanding fast. The locations are going to open nationwide at certain points in time in the future. So make sure you sign up, even if you're not in the areas I'm about to name, where they are already up and running. Right now, they're up and running in Knoxville, Nashville, and Franklin, Tennessee, and all the surrounding areas around those cities. So if you're in that area, they're ready to go right now. They're ready to see your family and you get 10% off if you go to RobbieVIP.com to do your sign up. Same for if you're out of the area, you will get notified as soon as your area is up and running, wherever you are and get that 10% off. So sign up today, RobbieVIP.com. That's R-O-B-B-Y-V-I-P.com. What would you tell somebody who says, this is probably the number one thing I hear, Trevor they say the Trevor Project statistics show that, you know, uh, suicides go down. And I know what I would say, but I want to hear what you would say to these people. How do you rebut this argument from them that you have to just go along with this because more kids are going to commit suicide if you don't? So the studies actually say that suicide rates tend to go up, up to about 19 times after a completed transition, including who you, surgery. Who do you think is to blame for that Trevor Project? figure becoming the media's go-to argument and activist argument when they get in front of legislatures it's hard to put the blame on one particular entity because stuff like that just kind of goes around like from activists groups to the media and it just gets recycled i think it's the media and it's because the media are activists and so the activists themselves, they prepare this stuff. And a lot of these things are bogus studies in the first place. Yeah. They're not studies, they're surveys. They send a text message out to a group of people who are already signed up as Trevor Projects. So you're yeah. already going to have a certain political bent to them in the way that they answer versus actually a real scientific study where you're trying to get a real picture of a large group in society. And so this is totally broken, but even just on its face, there is no other health condition where the person with it can say, I'm going to commit suicide. And the reaction of doctors is to say, I'm going to let you control your care now. You tell me what you want me to do next. You want hormones? I'll give them to you. You want this? I'll give them to you. You want surgery? I'll give it to you. There is nothing else. No other health issue, no mental health issue. In fact, every other mental health issue, if you went to the doctor and you said, I am going to commit suicide if, the doctor is immediately going to put you under evaluation and may work with your family, especially for your child, to commit you to care. This is the only thing where, where if you say it, suddenly they go, let's do whatever you want, whatever you say. And if you don't do it, you must want a dead child. What? 
to some yeah. like abusive boyfriend, you know, argument where they yep. say, if you don't do that, I'll leave you or I'll, you know, I'll kill you or hurt you or, you know, I'm going to kill myself. It's a manipulation tactic. Yeah, it is. And it, it's, it's just evil that they do this to, to parents that they are literally, I mean, you speak about this all the time about using that coercive tactic. They do that to my parents. Tell us more about that. My, my, my mom and dad recently told me that we had, we had a conversation about this last year and I didn't know this until then. But my therapist actually told, I think it was my therapist, it might have been just the team that transitioned me in general. But uh, they actually told my, my mom and dad that if I wasn't allowed to transition, then it was likely that I would kill myself, which wasn't true. I wasn't suicidal until I started the treatments. Wow. You weren't suicidal until you started the treatments. Yes. Right. And we know that the treatments actually have side effects of you know, dysphoria, increasing um, depression, anxiety, and and for the people who have other, you know, comorbidities like ADHD and um, autis- autism, like some of those traits get exacerbated as a result of put, being put on cross-sex hormones that can exacerbate that condition. I mean, that's the research that, that is widely available, yet it's, you know, not reported on. Like all of these statistics are, are being weaponized, I feel like, to, to form this narrative. And the truth it's just not getting out there about the reality of this. But like, let's talk about objective reality for a moment. Where are all of the stacked children's bodies from not getting the affirmative care of the past 20 years? Because there wasn't even a Google search for pediatric transgender clinic or gender clinic. This is all based on a theory. And it's all based on feelings of what you feel like. And it's all based on stereotypical ideas of what gender are. You know, we have groups of, of moms across the country um, that are thinking their two-year-olds are trans now because yeah. they like different toys. I mean, like these people claim to be fighting misogyny, but they're and literally attaching these stereotypical, you know, uh, characteristics and traits to little kids that just want to be little kids and play. So I feel like this is so incredibly dangerous. And I wanted to go back into the childhood a little bit, you know, and, and hear you talk about, about the circumstances from which, you know, you were in that situation where you latched onto this being presented as a solution, right? Could you like talk to us a little bit about what your childhood was like and, and, you know, your teenage years, you know, did you go through the typical teenage thing that we've all been through where we don't know who we are? I wasn't really allowed to rumble teenage years because I started this when I was a very young teen. Okay. But I mean, growing up, I was in a pretty good household, I'd say like, I'm the youngest of five kids, and both my parents were in the picture. But, you know, there is kind of a significant gap between me and my siblings, just because they're about 78 years older than me. And at school, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm on the spectrum. I wasn't diagnosed until much later, but I've had a lot of problems with, like, socializing and sometimes my performance in school even. And I often felt pretty lonely. And I found it really hard to fit in, especially with other girls, especially as I started to hit puberty and gone to middle school and interactions became more based on gender. But I, I also hit puberty pretty early. I was no older than nine, probably even eight. And I had to deal with my body changing so rapidly at a very young age. Having to hear all the comments from the adults, sometimes my peers, I became very conscious of my body pretty quickly. Do you think that contributed? Yeah, absolutely. I also... In elementary school, I found it really difficult to, to make friends and I was bullied for a little bit. It wasn't until fourth grade that I finally managed to really make a group of friends. And then right after that, I had to move schools in fifth grade because I moved neighborhoods. 
and I was based, I was, I was back at square one. And so I had turned to the internet. I started using, I had just got my first computer. I think I was maybe like nine or 10. Mm-hmm. And so I started using the internet a lot. And when I was 11, I got my first phone. And that's when things really started to go down south because I started using social media at the time. Cause that was, that was what everybody was using at the time. Everybody was on Instagram, Snapchat. Kick. I used the, the first two. I, I would mainly use Instagram. I would see a lot of stuff that made me even more conscious of my body. You know, there was, there was all these pictures of women, a lot of them very sexual in nature. And I would compare myself to them a lot. And I was like, why don't I look like this? Like, I don't even look like the girls in the school. I felt like I looked like a boy more than anything that there's, I'd never be pretty. I'd never be enough as a girl that there would be no point in trying. And I also started seeing some feminist content as well that kind of echoed a lot of the sentiments out here about growing from a girl into a woman from the women and girls around me stuff like oh it's just all it's just all awful it's all something to complain, to complain about like from periods to develop having developing body and going through sexual harassment um, possibly the possibility of getting pregnant and going through pregnancy giving birth it was all all the girls around who just talk about it in a very negative light. And then sometimes our tier boys talk about it like it was just this disgusting thing. And it made me just not want to be a part of it at all. And the, the feminist content I would see would also, it would do the same thing, but it was like at, like to the next level. It was like, oh, women are oppressed. They've been oppressed through our history and it's only getting worse in this age. We're losing our reproductive rights and things like that. Which I don't believe now, but at the time it was like, it was scary to hear all of that. Yeah. Right. And that's when the LGBT content started to come in. Um, I'm kind of a nerd, you know, I like my, I like my video games and my comics and shows and stuff. And I would browse a lot of communities on Instagram around that stuff. And there just so happened to be a lot of teens and young adults in those communities who identified as like gay or non-binary, transgender. I don't know why, but there was just a lot of overlap, I guess, because this was just people who were kind of socially awkward, kind of nerdy, and they found their community online. But eventually I started seeing more just LGBT-focused content, and some of it was like information or really propaganda on the whole thing, especially about transitioning. And I started seeing like young teens talking about their experiences transitioning these are stories of like somebody going from struggling with themselves, with their, with their identity, with their bodies and with their families and their friends and slowly over time becoming more seemingly accepted and finding community and the people around them having their backs, loving them. And as somebody who was kind of lonely as a kid, that really spoke to me. Sure. I noticed that, I mean, there's a lot of parallels between me and those kids. And subconsciously, I just started to gravitate towards it. And, you know, I started to wonder, like, well, just what am I? Am I non-binary? Am I even a girl? Was there an attention component, too, that you saw, though, where you saw people saying they're non-binary or saying they're this or that and seeing that they get likes and comments and things that make them seem like they have a community? Yeah, it was less about the likes and comments and more just, like, Seeing them interact with other people, like yeah. online and person, and how happy they seem to become and how much fun they were having. Yeah. Do you think a lot of this goes back to the fact that 
society is asking kids to grow up too fast. Yeah, like absolutely. All of this roots back to that because that's what I, I the whole time you're talking right now, I can't help but think that had you just been allowed to be a kid at nine years old and not had the pressure to get on social media so early and not mm -hmm. had all of these different influences being pushed on you so early, you would have just been able to be a kid because no nine-year-old girl needs to be thinking about sex, their body, or any of that. Mm -hmm. They just need to be able to be a kid. Oh, yeah. That's that's another important part that I haven't really talked about yet. But for some reason, from a very young age, a lot of the kids around me were really precocious. And like they, I guess their parents like would just allow them on, on the internet, on the computers, on the phones. Let them have all those devices at a really young age without really monitoring them. And I kind of had the same problem, but it didn't really affect me as much until I started interacting with those those kids at school. And they would talk about just really not appropriate subjects, especially like at, like around like sex. Yeah. And I learned about that stuff from a pretty young age, so I was already very conscious of. How old do you think you were when that got introduced to you? No younger than seven. Wow. So. How old were some of the other parents, you know, when the first kids started getting the, on social and all of that? Because I know that how quickly that changes this, the school culture or the dynamics in those groups, because mm -hmm. then it becomes like a quest of so-and-so has it, so-and-so is on snaps and, you know, you know, and then you want to, you know, be part of that group and all that. I mean, how, how young were these kids being exposed to that, that type of content? I remember being like first and second grade and already seeing some of my peers being given like iPhones and stuff. Mm -hmm. They already, their parents already gave them, gave them iPhones. Right. And so they're already using social media even. Right. Which means that they've been exposed they're, to pornography. Yeah. And now yeah. this is a really important question that I really wanted to ask you because this is something that I deal with every day in, in, you know, with my nonprofit dealing with survivors of sexual exploitation and going back to childhood, things like that they've experienced and almost all of them pornography played a role whether it was their perpetrator addicted to it or themselves being exposed to it or groomed by it and it it shapes their identity it it, it shape it's it attains every part of their lives and, and even in their recovery yeah um and so i wanted to see what role pornography played in your sense of identity or perception of what it means to be a woman yeah it absolutely did i was exposed to it pretty young i'd say probably around 10 or 11 and i watched it and i didn't realize it until recently but a lot of the, the girls in the stuff that I would watch or read, they were treated terribly. And that was just like kind of my idea of sex. And like everything that I would, I would like read about it was like, it was promoting like kink, fetishes and pleasure over like love and intimacy and trust. And so that's just, that's what I learned sex was about. And doesn't that make, like at least to a girl, doesn't that make sex seem kind of scary when you're, like a little girl, yeah, you're being exposed to this, and you're, and it's like this, like very. I mean, if you are familiar with like this stuff, like there's very violent stuff out there, yeah. And you know what's crazy is that maybe five years ago, if you had told me you watched it at that age, I would have been shocked. I'm not anymore though, because as we know now, the average age a kid is exposed to porn today is it's around eight, eleven years old. Was the last like major scientific thing they did. I have no doubt it's close to yeah, now, though. It's probably Honestly, younger. You're, yeah, you're younger. probably absolutely right. So that mm -hmm. statistic about 11 years old, it's from a few years back. And they acknowledged actually later on, the people who did this, that it is going to get younger every single year yep. because the way that it's working, this is a massive drastic change from the past. The internet, 
social media apps, everything else is the problem. And one of the big things is these apps, they have no age verification at all. So like, you know, we have three kids, our six-year-old right now, if she wanted to, she could grab a phone. These kids are all like amazing tech brains. I mean, yeah. That's just the world we live in. And she could grab a phone if somebody would let her and could probably sign up for a social media app if she had parents who were not like, you know, on top of things. And when you think about our country in that context, that the number of kids who are just being handed a phone and that's your babysitter. Like, that's really scary because I think that's actually why we're here. Yeah. yeah. That's a big part of it. Yeah. Right. And, and promoting, it's not just like the sexual content, but it's like creating the perfect, you know, environment for all of these mental health issues to just flourish in. Yep. I mean, that's, that's the reality is it's like there's a component of destabilizing the identity of self-hatred, especially with women. I would want to, if I was a little girl and somebody exposed me to horrific rape, you know, torture, a man debasing a woman and spitting on her and doing all sorts of other disgusting things, I might not want to identify with whatever that woman was. And if it was explained to me that the patriarchy is a suppressive, you know, thing, this construct, and that I could just choose to not be that, if that was presented as a choice, I think that a lot of little girls and their undeveloped brains would say, I don't want that. And and I think there's a large part of that that I'm seeing, you know, in my my perspective, especially working with survivors of sec child sexual abuse, where they disassociate from that horrific experience, not only do they, you know, have issues with future relationships and intimacy, but they don't want to identify with the person that experienced that. Mm -hmm. So um, I see a lot of parallels there. If you wanted to share any thoughts about that, this is an anecdote that I talk about a lot. But every trans kid that I know, they all either have like some some sort of family related trauma, like either like one of their parents died, or like they're just not in the picture, or like they're in a foster home. Or they have sexual trauma. They've either been assaulted or harassed or raped from a young age. Yeah, it, it's horrific. Can you explain something to me? So that I really want to understand because I know I know you're part you're part of that culture at one point, and you have an insight that a lot of people don't. What? Why do they you know get rid of their name? Because a name isn't necessarily gender. If I, I'm Landon, that's a boy, a boy name typically. And people sort of say, are like, Mr. Landon, you know, and I walk in and they look confused. A lot of times they think we're but, gay because I'll say, yeah, Robbie <laughs> and Landon. And they're like, okay. And they're like, where's your husband, sir? And I'm like, there's no husband. It's, no, I, I, at first I was like, who's Landon? Is that his brother? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But I can't like. She's being nice. She thought I was gay too. <laughs> she, was, she was like, where's her his husband? But but I just I wonder that because it seems so much more than I just don't want to have this part. It seems much larger yeah. than that that I want to destroy this identity and reinvent something that is more appealing to me, like in whatever way, because that part doesn't make sense because names aren't necessarily gendered, you know, like it it's what you attach. And that's the basis of the whole theory is that things shouldn't be attached necessarily in gendered a truck, you know, a girl playing with a truck or any so I don't understand the, the need to just erase memories to go back and 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 not not have a childhood and say oh I don't want to see any pictures it's too triggering for me that I I was born with a penis or whatever it is can you share some insights that maybe we don't understand Yeah the idea that this is like breaking the gender rules is just complete nonsense because in the end it's just reinforcing them but I think you could actually go a step further with that. It's reinforcing them in the most extreme ways. Yeah, in, in the most misogynistic ways, too. In the too. most misogynistic right? ways, because it's like, okay, if you're if you're a male and you say you're going to transition to be a female, 
in many ways, they'll actually go and they'll be a caricature of a woman. They use the yeah. highest voice, the floppiest hand. The right, the Dylan yeah. character. The, you know? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. They'll, it's they'll, it's, it's or insulting. They go, or they go the other direction. Uh, is that what people think of women? Like, it's... They'll go the other direction, too, where they'll do, like, very extreme body changes. Yeah. Where they go from, like, a male to having, like, huge breasts. Is that what it means to be a woman? Have huge, fake boobs. And I mean, it's like, wait a minute. I thought we were saying gender roles don't exist and that, you know, all these, and nothing makes sense anymore, you know? Yeah. Part of it is that, I mean, the grass is often greener on the other side. For me, yeah. you know, hearing all this horrible stuff about being a woman from other girls growing up was like, I mean, I would always, I would often hear the phrase like, oh, guys just have it so much easier. Well, I learned the hard way that that's not actually true, that men do have long struggles that are different. They're, they're different, but they're there. And in fact, it might be even harder to be a man because there's not really a lot. I knew of... I liked her. <laughs> there, there's a lot of, there's not a lot of room for a discussion, especially about things like your emotions, or how you feel about or your, your hardships. We've had this discussion before. Being a man allows for very little forgiveness. And I understand it's like that for women too, but in very different ways. For women, I feel like that lack of forgiveness comes more so from society in like the typical friendship sort of way, you know, where your outside friend groups that are like much larger, if you're looking at like a wheel, this outside part can be very unforgiving sometimes about the smallest things you guys do. Whereas with males, that unforgiveness tends to start way closer in the middle of the circle, the most personal parts where it's like, you know, uh, the men in your life growing up are the types who are like, you know, don't show emotion, don't do this, don't do that, you know, and it's all built around be strong, be the oak tree. Yep. And you know what? As much as it's not easy for men, I do actually disagree with the people who say it's not entirely healthy because I do think there's reasons why men are the way that we are biologically. Mm. And there are things about it that are unique and things about it that are not easy when you have that state of mind. But I think it does make you, it can make you a better husband and a better dad if you are using it the right way and you're not using it to shut off emotion entirely, but if you're using it to guard your family and vulnerable people, yeah. hard things. Yeah. You know? And I think men in certain situations should be vulnerable. Like the wife should be the safe space for a man. Yeah. I that's that's one thing that I learned uh, going through this is that I think that men and women are generally built for different things but in the end at the end of the day they complement each other mm -hmm. we do because people would definitely say i'm stronger in so many ways than Landon." but at the end of the day emotionally that's probably like the one area where i'll never open up to like anybody but she's my wife mm -hmm. so that is the healthy thing like i will i will you know say anything to like and so basically what I'm saying is foreign intelligence services, you want to know anything about me? Like she's the one you have to torture and not as you're not going to get it out of me. I'm stronger than her in other ways. No, but for real, I think that that's an important part of life is that, you know, there seems to be this overarching feat throughout the world. And it's really pushed by a lot of the, the globalist belief systems that men and women cannot be different while at the same time, convoluting all these lines about what sex and gender are none of it makes any sense it's like yeah they're the same but also they're so different but also they're so that different. if you're if you're a boy and 
like the color pink. Mm-hmm. Yeah, sure. Then, exactly. Yeah, sorry. Well, see, that's the thing that drives me crazy is, okay, having three kids, our daughters have liked boy toys. Our son has liked girl toys. That does not make our son a girl. It does not make our daughters a boy. And for all those people out there who think conservatives are bigots, if they see, you know, their daughter playing with trucks, they're going to take them away and be like, don't you dare play with that. That's I not how anybody. I just think a person in my entire don't life know raised who, children that way. I, I don't know who these people have been around. <laughs> uh, they need house training if they've actually ever experienced this. That's not normal, okay? All of my conservative friends, that is not how we are. Our kids hang out with each other. The kids play with whatever toy they feel like playing with. And none of us assign a future gender on them. We just know they are what they biologically were born as, you know? Yeah. And that's something they added this whole mix. But really, it goes so much further because it's not just about distorting gender and all those things. It's about distorting what is great and beautiful about our differences because healthiest thing we could be is society that acknowledges how different i am from both of you you know and that you guys have strengths i don't have Mm -hmm. and that i have strengths you guys don't have yeah that's another part of it is that i feel like we've just really depreciated the role of women in general yeah we have right absolutely and i think feminism propaganda did that a lot i mean the whole like boss babe culture and mm-hmm. climb the corporate ladder to serve a, a male puppet master at the top like is not my idea of you know female liberation i mean it sounds exhausting and miserable um, or the idea that they want to be the puppet master at the top they're like we need to replace right. it with all women you know? yeah but it, it, that that lie is sold to so many and there's so many miserable women and i'm not saying that every woman their destiny is to be a mom and a wife but oh. uh let's you know that even you know growing up myself like those perceptions were there and i went to a boarding school in the east coast so i i that some of that was infused into my upbringing too those those perceptions about like feminism and what it means to be a woman all that it was almost like looked down upon like you're just gonna be a wife like you're just gonna be a mom or like what like there was something like yeah like yeah like yeah yeah I like, are, like, same yeah i mean what's the point of going to college if you're just gonna go Pop out babies, you know, like that kind What's of. What's wrong with babies? Exactly, like, ba- like that's the greatest thing I can. Yeah, ever like, that's create. why you're here. <laughs> and and you know? and the most fulfilling thing I've ever done. And I've I've been a Billboard charting artist. I've done lots of things in my life, and there's nothing more special to me, or you know, can't I can't even like articulate it. It makes me emotional. Like that, if I ever do anything on this earth, like being a mom, that was it for me. Like that was the most fulfilling thing, you that's know. Amazing. And so, I really <laughs> honestly. As a man, if I could say one thing to especially the the females, I mean, I'd say it to both, but especially to the females thinking about transitioning into being a male. Like, put all the things away that people have told you about how people like me hate you. We don't hate you. Mm-hmm. From the bottom of my heart, I want you to have the happiest life you could possibly have. I want you to be joyful. I want you to grow old. I want you to fall in love. I want you to have kids. I want you to have every dream you have ever imagined achieving, and I want you to have it all. Yes, the transition makes that so much more difficult. Yes, yeah. absolutely. It makes it so much harder. And and I hope that even stuff like this, we're not going to change everybody's mind. I hope we can change one mind. If we can change one kid's mind who is given that phone and is all over social media, it's worth it. Yeah. It's worth it. And, and that's the thing, you know, the, I want to ask you something else too, because I get this all the time and it drives me crazy. Uh, I probably shouldn't admit that it drives me crazy, but it's the stupidity that drives me crazy, not the actual accusation. How many times have you heard the word grifter? I couldn't even count on my fingers. <laughs> okay. I just want to make it very clear for people. 
None of us profit off of this, okay? I don't make money off of being conservative. I never have. I've spent my own money. She has spent her own money. We have spent our own money off of this. Chloe gives her time to things all over to make a difference. I'm talking to people. I'm not talking to Chloe <laughs> Wayne. I just want to drive this point out. We are not drifting off of anything, okay? Literally, if there's ever an ad on one of my videos, guess what? The money goes right into projects that help make these values a reality and to get the message out. Like, nobody's getting rich off well, We don't have some secret okay. daddy billionaire that comes and stuffs our... our... We're, not, we're not funded by, like, the, the <laughs> Toke brothers or something. Like, there's there's no secret billionaire behind. You know, like, Elon Musk isn't pulling the string. Like, nobody's there, okay? This is just people who care. And so I really think it's important that those young people questioning know things like that, that like the stuff that you hear, it's all BS. Like these are just people on this side. What I've come to understand is they just care. People well, like you just care. Like you want them to have everything. Yeah, I'm, I'm just going to add, it's the same for me. I lose money every time I go on these trips one way or another. We couldn't do this show without our great sponsor, Patriot Mobile. If you haven't heard about Patriot Mobile, they are the cell phone service for you. Get away from the big companies. You keep your cell phone number. You keep your phone. Don't worry about it. It's not a hassle. It's quick to switch over and you stop giving your money to woke corporations who want to do nothing but take your money and turn it over to far left Marxist groups. Patriot Mobile puts their money where their mouth is. They help flip school board seats and put their money into conservative projects like this one so that they support the values that we believe in. You need to switch over today. If you care about your values, it's time for us to put our money where our mouth is. And Patriot Mobile is one of the ways you can do that by switching over. Their service standards are the exact same as all the major providers out there. So don't tell me, oh, I would do it, but I'm worried about bad service. It is the same service standards that the big ones are required to abide by. It is fantastic. It is worth the switch. Make it today. You get free activation. PatriotMobile.com slash Starbuck. Just say Starbuck and you get that free activation for your phone lines. You will not regret it. And you will be very pleased to find out that the money from your phone bill is now going toward projects and values that you believe in. You know, I would often hear from other people in the trans community, like, oh, people, all these people who oppose children transitioning, they're going to, like, forcefully, they're going to force people to stop transitioning. These these bills are horrible. These, this whole party hates you. Yeah. All these people hate you. And then once I stop interacting with these people and I start doing what I'm doing now, I was like, wow, they're really nice. Well, let me ask you a question. Okay, so today we were in a hearing, a subcommittee hearing for a bill that will ban sex changes for mm -hmm. minors and will ban uh, the use of hormones in the future and puberty blockers. Yeah. I don't know if you noticed, the thing that all of the Republican members spent the most time on was ensuring the safety of kids who are already on Yes. right Yes. Now, mm -hmm. And that they would not just be ripped off, that mm -hmm. they would not just go cold turkey and be put into a medical crisis. Yeah. Because as somebody, a, right. as somebody who went cold turkey, it's horrific to do that, yeah. do that way. Mm -hmm. And that was the top concern of everybody. And furthermore, it protects, you know, those, con those rare conditions where there is a precocious breviary or whatever, mm -hmm. you know, that um, other conditions are, you know, that ha is not part of this. This is a separate thing based on a theory, gender yeah. theory, you know, a no long-term safety studies, um, no empirical safety, safety data. Like th this is a theory that we're yeah. experimenting on children. And it doesn't matter that these 
you know, three letter institutions, uh, you know, the American pediatrics, it doesn't matter that they endorse this. It's like, we, we are critically thinking people there, the science is either there or it's not, which yeah. it's not. And the outcomes either matter or they don't. And yeah. looking at what this is doing to children and how they've been silenced and all that, these are all abuse tactics. We can't question them. They make people, you know, they make you feel like it's, it's the same thing an abuser does. They distance you from your family and other people because they have to control the narrative. They, they hate you. That, that person was talking behind your back. Look what they did here. They yeah. control the information, your access to people and, and, and ideas and thoughts. Anybody who could influence you to think the other way. These are abuse tactics. I wish if there was actual, like, not just sexual abuse prevention, but prevention about manipulation and coercion and fraud in a childhood space, uh -huh. not only would we eliminate child sexual abuse, we would eliminate the type of pr propagandizing of children and indoctrination of children and social media influence of children because we would be raising free-thinking children mm -hmm. to be able to withstand the propaganda and the isolation. It was a total shock when I when I stopped and I started seeking people who actually were in those spaces who were in opposition of child transitioning. And I realized they are not these awful demons that I was told about. They are people, they're just, they're just parents, they're teachers, they're school staff, they're, they're doctors, they're just concerned adults. Let me ask you a question. If you could talk to every parent of a kid who's questioning, no matter what their political orientation, anything, what would you tell them? My advice would be keep your kids off social media and once, once they're, once they're old enough to be on it, really look closely at what they're looking at, what, what they're spending time on, how much time they're spending on, on it and who they're interacting with and make sure that they are active enough in, at school, in their communities, in, in activities like sports, clubs, things like that, just so that they're interacting with, with other people, with other people. The social stuff's really important, especially yeah. for, especially for females. Yeah. And so that they're busy. So yeah. they don't have time to ponder stuff like this. Yeah. But most importantly, just be active, be involved as you can in their lives and let them know that you love them. Yeah. I mean, that's, it's simple, but it's so crazy how many people out there don't abide by that. In fact, the majority now, when it comes to social media, don't abide by that. Like in our case, none of our kids have social media. The only exception we've made it all and will make is that one of our kids is really funny and makes funny YouTube videos, but they don't run the account or anything. They just, uh, they make funny videos. We put it up and it's just their friends and, you know, stuff like that. Get to watch it. And it's so really cool. cute, but we're like, it's, we're doing it with them, yeah. you know, right. watch, watch YouTube. It's a family, like yeah. in a family space. Where it's like, we know what, 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 what right. we're looking up. And we try to do Rumble now too, but Rumble, Rumble's starting to get like enough content and stuff on it. I really hope Rumble ends up a serious competitor to YouTube because even places like YouTube are part of the problem because yeah. these algorithms Absolutely. are feeding this stuff to kids. Because once you go, even if you're just curious, you know, if you're curious, what is all of this trans stuff? I heard a girl at my school is trans now. And you go search on YouTube, what does trans mean? You know, how do you know if you're trans? You will get given that content constantly. Yeah. yeah, like it's on YouTube kids. It's all it. over. Yeah. I remember being nine and I think this is my first exposure to porn actually. I found it I just so happened to find it on YouTube. It was like completely uncensored and but it but it was just there. And this was long before YouTube kids was a thing. So yeah. that wasn't that wasn't the thing that was in place. Yeah. And they've gotten a lot more strict about how they're uh they're, It still uh, gets through now. Yeah. YouTube. Yeah. It still does. I mean, we've heard it from quite a lot of people with 
you know, people even sending screenshots sometimes, which please, you don't need to send the screenshots. Just, I believe you. But that, <laughs> that still, it does happen. I mean, you'd be shocked some of the stuff people send. Yes. I'm, I can't look at Chloe right I'm now. I'm sorry. I, I be, I'm being honest. Like you really, you don't need to send them. And also, you know, it doesn't they, just they stop. Don't even censor it. No. The- Not only that, you wouldn't believe some people have sent me because I've talked about the way people have been, you know, had side effects from certain medications from big mm-hmm. pharmaceutical companies and stuff like that. And some people have sent me the most horrific photos that should remain private. Hmm. Not because they want me to post or anything, but because they want me to see it. And I'm like, except things are better left private. Like, I care. I care a lot about people. I really do. I don't want anybody sending me photos like that. <laughs> just um, We can talk about it later. Yeah, <laughs> it might be a different episode. I can't help it, but it, this has happened recently, and it was, I was not happy oh about it. God. So You sound uh, a little traumatized. I yeah, was. I yeah, was kind of traumatized by the last one that was sent to me. I was like. Why would anybody willingly send that? I'm just curious. <laughs> back, back to the back to the subject. I'm wait, gonna let wait. you take over. Yes, I'm, I'm, I'm curious, but I've learned over the years. Some yeah, some pieces exactly. of knowledge are not worth having in some. Agree. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Agreed. Sound wisdom. Well, okay. So, any last questions before? I, I knew that was going to lead to wisdom. By the way, see, that's like I was I was using my male intellect to bait you guys into wisdom. See. Uh, you know, I asked about parents who have kids questioning, but what about parents whose kids are not questioning in terms of how, how do they ensure that their kid doesn't end up a statistic where they end up in school doing this? Because I even know of cases where, you know, uh, a parent seems to be doing all the right things and they send their kid to school. They don't give them a phone, but their friend group is pushing this stuff. Like, what, what would you say to those parents? Well, another problem with parents today is that they're really not teaching their kids how to be socially aware. A lot of the kids that fall into this, a lot of them are autistic, and so they're not really, they're not really as socially aware. And, well, that's kind of, I think that's kind of an innate part of being autistic. But you can mitigate that to some extent by teaching them what to look out for, how to be socially aware, and just teaching them about reality. Yeah. And to stand up for it. I have one one question, last question. Okay. How do we protect women's spaces, women's, you know, safe homes from domestic abuse? You know, all of these things are becoming an issue. You know, the rubber meets the road now with like the YMCA case, um, you know, all these situations. How much do we tolerate before we are erased when it comes to language, when it comes to all these accommodations? You know, how do we, uh, you know, in your perspective, like, you know, I'm sure you deal with a lot of people still in that community or the ones that are detransitioning or any, you know, how do we have a line in the sand say, Hey, you can identify what you, what you want, but you're, you're not allowed to like have your penis out with my little girl in a, you know, bathroom. Like that's where I draw the line. Like yeah. how do we have that conversation? Cause I feel like that conversation has not been had. Yeah. I've, I've kind of noticed the same thing. A lot of the discussion around this just gets stifled. I mean, the first and most important step is just to recognize the reality of things that trans women are not women. They're trans women. And biological males, and the same goes for the other way around. Trans men are not male, biological females, and trans men. As for like the bathroom and like like sex facilities, I mean, the most obvious answer would be to just not let anybody 
of the opposite sex in those facilities. But sometimes it's difficult to tell. Some people pass very well, right? And they really generally don't need any harm in using those facilities. I mean, I was one of those people. I I really did pass as the opposite sex, and I just would quietly go to the bathroom, not really bother anybody. And there are some cases of people like that, but I don't think anybody's interested. I, there's in, not really in policing can, people based on how yeah. they look in general. But I do think that there have to be policy-wise, like, lines that deter people who are abusing that and um, just a, a woman's right to a private space. Like, mm -hmm. you know, dealing with a survivor of horrific, you know, abuse. Absolutely. Sent, I would never send them to a shelter knowing that they allowed, you know, men in there. You mm -hmm. know, trans men, whatever, trans women, whatever you want to call it. It's, you know, they have a right to a space where there's not going to be yeah. men there, you know. And, and that's the thing is, like. Do we have that right yet? You know, or do we still have that right or not? And are we going to fight for it? And at what expense? I think that we have to draw some lines there, yeah. you know, as women. Uh, or what does it mean to be a woman if, if a man can be a woman? If a man can take the awards, if a man can, you know, be on the same swim team, then then it's not, doesn't mean anything. Mm -hmm. Chest feeding, they erase it. What, you know, breastfeed or chest feeding and then, um, you know, we clearly are not penis. advocating chest feeding. No, I'm, I'm saying they've, they've <laughs> raised all of these terms that, that yes. are special. Like new ones. Yes, yeah, about but women. So in, in the name of inclusivity, a women are being erased and, and what makes our, you know, womanhood special, distinct and private. You know, there are separate, you know, there are reasons that we have to have private spaces. Yeah. We should have private spaces, especially raising little girls. You know, that is also very important. So I, I think that it's really important to get clear on what those lines are and ask, you know, that those be respected. Yeah, I think that you really kind of have to demand they be respected. But, but you know, the one thing I have not understood is there seems to be a whole lot of people overlooking the most obvious thing. And that's that, especially in public facilities, why don't we just build single stall bathrooms yeah. for people who either, I mean, we already should be doing it honestly for people who are disabled to make mm -hmm. it easier for them to be able to get to the bathroom because oftentimes the disabled um, stall is the furthest away from the door. You could actually yeah. make it easier for them by making it a single stall bathroom. And it also would serve the need of anybody who is maybe, you know, uh, biologically not what they identify as and then they can go use that that way they don't feel like they have to go in the bathroom also, and it's going to distress them mm -hmm. and they're also not going in a bathroom where they're going to scare little kids mm -hmm. you know like you you can really have it all where everybody gets their private space to go to the bathroom or change or locker room or whatever i don't understand why that is so difficult i get it with private businesses mm -hmm. why private businesses are like hey i just need them to go to the one that you know they were assigned at birth. I get that. But for public facilities, which is a lot of bathrooms, that makes a lot of sense. Does it not? Yeah. I remember my senior year when freshly off testosterone and Jesse transitioning. I I mean, I think I did look like, look like a girl, but everybody previously, just a few months ago, knew me as a boy by the name Leo. And for a long time, they knew me as like this kid who just looks up a boy. And so that was kind of, that was kind of, yeah, that was kind of, that was pretty uncomfortable. Like I would, I went back to using the, the girls' locker rooms and restrooms because I mean, that was really the only place I had. I would, I would probably be endangering myself if I had use, was still using the, the boys' facilities. But at the same time, like I knew I was getting looks. I knew that I was probably making other people uncomfortable. And I really would have appreciated it if they had like, like neutral, like accessible awesome. facilities. They didn't even have like a like accessible bathrooms at my school. This might be really like kind of personal, but 
Are you dysphoric at all when you see a picture of you when you feel like you presented as a boy? Because I honestly, I can't even imagine looking at you today. I can't imagine you passing or a boy. I hope that's like, you know, uh, seen as a compliment, not sure about it, but do you feel dysphoric when you see that? I wouldn't say the feeling is really dysphoria. It's just like, it's discomfort. I almost feel dissociated from that person. It's like, that's probably even when I, even when I look back, even when I think back to those memories I had throughout high school, it's like they don't feel like my own memories. Yeah. It's just very, just, it's very uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Right. That's understandable. I mean, I think a lot of people feel that way too, just about their teen, you know, experience too. Yes. I mean, I don't know anybody's like, I had a great time in my teenage years. I really knew who I was. I, and if they do say that, they're lying. <laughs> That's <laughs> what I was going to say. I do know some. They're called liars. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Nobody felt comfortable. Or there are people who have nothing going for them as well. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Sure. Nobody, nobody enjoyed the process of everything changing all at once in front of everybody else and feeling like you're judged by everyone around you, adults and people your age. It's not fun. It's a weird experience. And yes, there are moments of joy throughout it and everything. No doubt, you know, you have your first, you know, girlfriend or boyfriend, whatever. And things. there's things that people are like, oh, that's exciting about, you know, that time in your life as a teenager. But there's a whole lot more that's just weird. (laughs) There's a lot of awkward, weird stuff that happens. And I think people need to normalize to younger people that that's there's nothing unusual about you. What would be unusual is if you're not feeling right place you know right. uh, and that would honestly help with mental health too yeah it's, yeah just be honest about that yeah sometimes i would see like attempts at doing that but it was like, poor attempts <laughs> yeah it was like really exaggerated really just would make any feel any kid feel worse like yeah some like really overbearing moms like throwing like period parties for their little girls like mm-hmm. i don't want me yeah, right. like, that's I, actually worse yeah, yeah. That's, 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 that's i didn't have anything like that luckily <laughs> right. but i know kids who did and it just made them feel worse about going through it right yes absolutely i think the best the best way to approach it to any kid whether they're a boy or a girl before they or when they're just going into puberty it's like just be completely factual about it like no just completely neutral mm-hmm. don't like oh it's a celebration or like oh right. it's just awful yes exactly yeah i for one am stunned i'm just finding out about this the period party i've never heard of this before <laughs> and i just i want to say i think as a general rule and i hope we don't need to make a law for anything like this but just as a general rule let's maybe not have parties about people's private parts yeah. you know like <laughs> i think that's uncomfortable yes. especially if you're a kid like i honestly if I was a female and my parents threw me a period party as a child, I I would have considered transitioning. <laughs> and I'm not saying that as a joke. I'm dead serious. I'm like, I want nothing to do with this crazy. Right. Do boys have to have period parties? I'm in. Okay, they don't? Okay, let's go that I'm dead serious. Like yeah. I I did not know anybody does this and I'm stunned by it. That's like what you crazy. What you said I think is the best. Was, I think a large uh, part of our audiences is parents you know yes, families and i think that you said it the best i mean just matter of fact factual stuff because i thought i was dying when i got my period nobody told me what a period was so i literally thought i was bleeding to death um so could we just find that happy medium where we talk you know talk to our kids about the realities of things and even you know porn porn exposure what the, what to do when that happens uh the dangers of social media whether they have it or not they need to understand why um, without, you know, sensationalizing things and making things this big deal and these big sit downs, like 
just yeah. talk to them like they're that's why i say the future of understanding is yeah. common sense yeah. because everything you're saying is common sense yeah. like, this should be common sense we're not these you know repressive people who are afraid to talk about reality with our mm -hmm. families or our children in fact if you're a christian this is what god put you on earth for you were put here to teach your kids mm -hmm. okay don't let somebody else do it don't let them find out on the internet don't let them end up having a situation like that happen where they think they're literally bleeding to death. Just tell the truth to your kids, you know, talk to them, have these conversations, do it in an age appropriate way. Yeah. Don't let somebody else be the person who does it. But you reminded me of an important thing too. I promised somebody I would ask Chloe this. There's a parent um, who follows me. They love you. Um, they wanted to stay anonymous through their whole thing. Um, they have a child who says that they are trans, okay? And um, they're 17. And the parent is, you know, very conservatively minded, um, didn't do social media, any of that stuff. But about was, the school? Yeah. Found out about it through school, fell into a bad group, you know, and all that. And um, they ended up getting it from social media anyways via somebody else's phone at school who helped them set up a social media account. So it still ended up being social media. But they want to know how can they let their kid know why they're so scared for their future and what they're going to have to go through and how do they let them know that they love them but try to steer them toward the right path and not be they're trying to walk that fine line where like they don't want to be wrapping their arms up and love about something that's going to be so hard for the kid they want to open their eyes but they also want their kid to know they're loved like how do you deal with that well first of all you should probably take your kid out of that school mm -hmm. That was my first yeah, environments, yeah. Environments, <laughs> yeah, it's like, all about the environment. It's everything. Everything mm -hmm. from gardening to raising children to our adulthood. It's yeah. Our environment is so important. Yeah. But it's as I said earlier, you have to just be objective with your kid and just tell them how it's going to be without trying to push them one way or another. Like, oh, it's exciting. Like, oh, it's just horrible. Mm -hmm. Like, it's going to be a little bit of both. And that's something that you have to acknowledge. And it's hard to acknowledge that as a kid. But if you just tell your kids that just tell them how it is and let them experience it mm -hmm. then they'll learn to live with it yeah right yeah it's almost like parents were designed to lead children and children yeah we're not supposed to yeah. do it that's a little period yeah. so for me it was kind of the opposite like everybody else my age already was having them by a certain age and like they had they would talk about how, like how it would come every month for them but me i started around like 12 and they were very irregular for me. I was only having about three or four per year. And I was, I mean, I did hear like that at towards the beginning, especially tends to be like an irregular thing. But like everybody, like whenever I talk about with the girls my age, they were like, oh, that, that can't be right. Like, is there something wrong with you? And like, I would like, look, I would, I would start wondering maybe there is something wrong with me. And I start looking online, like, right. If this was normal. And I would see stuff like, this may be an indicator of infertility. So it's like, great, there's another thing that's wrong with right, me as right. a girl. Yeah. Yes. Like, what's the point? Right. What's the point? Right. 100%. I, I just felt so hopeless. Yeah. Gosh, that's... Parenting could, couldn't be more important at this time. Like, I mean, that's critical. Every, with all the attacks on kids for their minds, our identity, their, you know, all the propaganda thrown at them, that sexualization, uh, politicization. I mean, it's like, we don't have to, you know, hide our kids from the world, but we have to train them yeah. up how to deal with it and, you know, in an age appropriate way yeah. and respond to it. And and I love that you said get them out of school because 
you can only put so many band-aids on things or play the game whack-a-mole like you know we're trying to get rid of the pornographic books in school we're trying to control everything that's not what parenting needs to be it doesn't need to be so stressful and like there's this and there's this like just cultivate the environment that you want focus on the positive experience you want for your child um because it's a totally different mind shift of just focusing on all the negative things and how to avoid them yeah and if you're going to take something away you have to replace it with that's something right that's right yes 100 thousand that's yes. probably the best place to leave it i want people to remember that so yes thank you in closing chloe thank you thank you for everything you're doing you are a warrior you're changing people's lives and you're leaving a legacy that you're going to continue to find out about in your old age one day when you've got long white hair and you've got a bunch of grandkids and stuff you're going to be like sitting there maybe you'll be going to your mailbox and you'll be getting like a letter from somebody that's like thank you (laughs) you know you'll still it'll still be happening when you're an old person you're making a big difference and i hope other people take that inspiration and make a difference themselves maybe this isn't their issue maybe it's somewhere else they can make a similar impact but and if you ever do choose to become a mom it'll be a great one you you can tell Thanks for joining us today, Chloe. Yeah, thank you guys guys so much. If you're a longtime follower or listener, you know I have talked about how broken our healthcare system is, and it is time for a solution. That's why I've partnered with the company Claris to bring you that solution. You want to go back to the old days where a doctor actually cared? They came to your house, they gave real service and healthcare to your family, not sick care, just waiting for you to get sick? That's Claris. You can get a doctor that comes to you or telehealth and you can get that service on a one-off basis. Don't deal with the insurance companies, just deal directly with them and get the healthcare you deserve. This again is an opportunity. If you're one of those people that says, I don't want a doctor who asks my kid about their pronouns. I don't want a doctor who's got propaganda in their waiting room. I don't want a doctor who tries to push a vaccine that I'm not comfortable with every time that I go into the doctor's office, then this is for you. They're expanding fast, so locations are gonna open nationwide at certain points in time in the future, so make sure you sign up even if you're not in the areas I'm about to name where they are already up and running. Right now, they're up and running in Knoxville, Nashville, and Franklin, Tennessee, and all the surrounding areas around those cities. So if you're in that area, they're ready to go right now. They're ready to see your family, and you get 10% off if you go to RobbieVIP.com to do your sign up. Same for if you're out of the area, you will get notified as soon as your area is up and running, wherever you are, and get that 10% off. So sign up today, RobbieVIP.com. That's R-O-B-B-Y-V-I-P.com. Thanks for joining me on today's episode. If you liked what you heard, tag me on social media, repost clips from it, share it with your friends. You sharing our show is how we grow, and it's how we get the truth out there. So if you want to help spread the truth and help wake people up, please go and share our show. Go to our website, RobbieStarbuck.com for more information or to watch old episodes. See you at the next episode.